With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Kumo Majesty 9 Solus TA91. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive, simply go to TireRack.com slash sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. 56% of job seekers say their biggest challenge is finding a job that matches their qualifications, according to an Express Employment Professionals Harris Poll survey. The job search can be a lonely process, but Express Employment Professionals can be your one connection to finding a job that fits. Each year, hundreds of thousands of people find work through their local Express office. Find the location near you at ExpressPros.com. With no fees for job seekers, visit ExpressPros.com. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from Southampton, New York. Site of the U.S. Open, the 118th U.S. Open. And uh, in a word, carnage. I mean, just carnage. Man. You name the player who you've heard of before, and with the exception maybe of Jason Duffner, who early on is one under. Maybe Ian Poulter, who, if you follow him on Twitter, you probably don't like him. Yeah, like, with those as the exception, I mean, it is, this tournament right now is is, uh, being led by Russell Henley, Brian Gay, Dustin Johnson has hit all of his uh, four fairways, in regulation, 
and has avoided some of the carnage. But, man, the big names, I mean, you're talking about Tiger Woods with a seven to begin the U.S. Open, and that is not a par five on the first hole. So, you know, look, it was bad early, and you expect it to get worse late as it did rain yesterday. They thought it would soften up the greens. But this is just a hard, hard test of golf, and it's windy, and it's getting drier. It's long. It's getting more and more difficult. In a word, carnage. I mean, actually, if you look at the bottom of the leaderboard, it might it might be more interesting than the top of the leaderboard. All right, so I, I read you some of the names at the top. You look down at the bottom, and you're like, man, well, they're, they might as well go home. I mentioned Tiger Woods through only four holes is four over. Uh, but it gets it gets much, much worse. Jordan Spieth finished his round with a 78. Jason Day, 79. Rory McIlroy, 80. Remember, par is 70 here. Rory McIlroy, 10 over. This was supposed to be great for uh, for the Irish kids. Great for the Euro players. Bump and run golf. It's windy. Ooh, it has been absolute carnage. And, and, and the difference is, to this point, the Greens have played much more fairly than they played in 2004. It's early. It's not expected to rain. It's going to get harder and harder. And, man, is it bad. I mean, it's just bad. And I, I do wonder if you get to the point. It's like my favorite golf tournament. My favorite golf tournament. I used to be one called the International. The International was played in Denver, Colorado. They did something called the Modified Stableford System. The idea of the Modified Stableford System was it would reward you an extra point if you got an eagle. In other words, going for it is rewarded. I don't know. There's never been a Stableford System used in a major tournament. Why the Modified Stableford System? Point is that the Modified Stableford System, the old International, which is now a defunct tournament on the PGA Tour, to me, that was like Big 12 football. And this is like SEC football. I'm not, the U.S. Open is, well, it's the truest test of golf. I'm not denying that. You and I would probably, if you shoot in the high 80s, low 90s, you'd shoot 110, 115, playing it down from the tips. Easy. Easy. But this is like the U.S. Open getting back. PGA has started to trick up their golf courses the past couple years, and the U.S. Open goes, oh, yeah? The USGA, oh, yeah? Check this out for a second. I mean, man. And and look, Tiger hasn't been great, but he has hit all of his fairways. Like the flaw to Tiger has always been, you know, in major tournaments, when he doesn't play well, either he's not healthy, or maybe more accurately, he's inaccurate with his driver. Whether it's been driver or three wood, he hadn't had a problem with it. But the best iron player to ever play the game. Is having some problems there. Has not hit a green in regulation. And here we are. Man, what utter carnage. Other thing is, uh, this is a, uh, look, it's a great spectator event if you're a spectator on TV. I, I don't know, Ryan Music, you're watching, you guys, you and Ramos are watching it back in Los Angeles, correct? That's correct. All right, so what's it, what does the course look like? If, if you had to, if you took a snapshot of what you think the course looks like on TV, what it must look like in person, what would that be? 
Well, the one thing that's been hard to tell on TV is the greens and like you said, how quick they can be and sort of the uh, the one word that we only use in golf, the undulation. There's a yes. couple of shots that as soon as they hit the green, you're like, oh, that could look pretty good. And then all of a sudden they just skip all the way back off to the back of the green and towards the edge of like the rough area. Um, so well, that's that's one of the things I mean, that's been hard to tell is exactly after the shot is hit how it will then land and roll in relation to where the hole actually is. And look, the the camera angles and all of the tech stuff that Fox does where you have yards to the hole, the apex of the height, the speed, the exit velo, if you will, of the golf ball, and the wind, like all of that is fantastic. And they, they are doing some great panning shots to give you kind of a sense of what the course is like, but I don't think it gives you a sense of what the course is like. Like I, I've never been to Augusta, but everyone is like, man, you wouldn't believe how hilly it is. You wouldn't believe how much up, how much walking there is. And then this one, which is in kind of, a, it's all kind of in a confi- confined space, like link style golf course. Um, but it is really hilly. It is really long. It is really windy. And, you know, obviously I haven't played the greens. Dan Byer, who joins us, can obviously be with us all weekend long here and is hoping to get the uh, win the, I guess it's win the lottery to play the, <laughs> do you win or do you lose the lottery if you have to play Monday? That's a very good question. It, the way that it looks like you're going to be the, on the losing end if you have to play this beast because I don't understand on, on how an amateur could come out here and play the course in this conditions. A, with this win, Doug, but we're already starting to see if you, if you're, Either you're here or you're watching at home. You're starting to see some brown spots maybe pop up on the green. To, to keep the ball within 10 feet of the hole on any shot that's outside of 50 yards is almost a miracle. I mean, balls are just rolling out and it's firming up. I don't know how any amateur could, could compete on a field like this, and we're seeing how the pros are dealing with it today. I mean, you're talking the best of the best. Like the names I mentioned who, are, who put up huge numbers mm-hmm. are, are people's favorites to win this thing. Like Rory McIlroy, to a man, you're like, man, Rory's got a shot. Rory's got no shot. No, no shot. I mean, the field would have to so massively come back to him. And there's just not a setup to which you're going to be able to score a, a, on sure. this thing. Yeah. I mean, you're 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 done after day one, even before you're like, all right, just keep the G five hot uh, for tomorrow. As soon as I finish my round, I'll be flying home. And when players arrived yesterday, and we're here at the facilities yesterday, it was a cloudy, it was wet. So if you teed off early on Thursday, Doug, you were thought to have the advantage. Well, now for all the players that played early this morning, the lowest score out there is 69. Sure, Russell Henley is at three under, or Brian Gaze at two under, but minus one is going to end up leading the tournament. Yeah, and which, it may which is just about- be Scott Piercy and Ian Poulter after the day because I have no idea how anybody can keep it this low uh, in in these conditions. Yeah, now it's the, now the wind is really starting to whip. Now the one thing, of course, that will come back is if you start in the morning today, you're in the afternoon tomorrow. Yes, and there's not expected to be rain, so it will be. Uh, you would think it would be more difficult, and yeah. you, the old water will find its level. So if you shoot a lower number in the afternoon today, which to this point only Dustin Johnson is sticking around to do, uh, you, you'd think you'd be in better shape tomorrow. Uh, but, I mean, this is, this is it's nuts to watch. I guess the question I have to you, Dan, because you're much more into golf. It's not that I'm not into golf. I love it. But you're much more into it than I am, is – is this a fun watch? Is this what we like? Every year is like, oh, the USGA is so hard, and it's the it's the most, truest test of golf. But like, 
Yeah, it's kind of like watching SEC football, man, whereas I like watching the Big 12. It might be 77-70, but at least I'm yeah. entertained. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I, I think the part that would that makes this difficult is we aren't seeing any great shots because great shots are made to look average. And that's the one thing. Like if You, you can understand if a guy hits it in the rough on a drive and has to, has to hack it out into the fairway and ends up making a bogey or a double. That's something that you and I can relate to and fans want to see. But when guys are hitting great shots and not being rewarded for it, that makes it a grind for not only for the players, but I also think for the viewer. I, I just texted Scott Stallings, who finished, I believe he finished uh, uh, close to 10 over. over. I yeah. think he was 10 over. He's at. The, he's working out of the gym. He's going to pop off on this here, uh, either end of the hour or top of next hour. He is not, he did not have the worst score. Uh, Scott Gregory. Scott Gregory, yeah, who is the British amateur champion in 2016. He shot a 92, 22 over par, a 92, which to this one is the worst score by nine strokes, nine. So I guess the question, like, do you even hang around tomorrow? Do you do something like do you just try stuff? Do you tinker with your swing? Like, you, What do you do tomorrow? You, you, hang, have, you hang around because, yeah, he's not going to win it, but you hang around because there's other players in your group, and if you can play as a threesome, that's that's better than than a pairing that you may have to wait longer you'd put your other playing partners in a in a bad spot if you just withdrew now music four pars on his on his card today the rest were bogeys or worse uh music what, what do you got for us so in football like you know how sometimes in the later parts of the season we'll see those snow games and it sort of seems to level the playing field, right? Because unless you're like a run-heavy team, it becomes really hard to pass the ball. And that's where you'll see those really low-scoring games. Like, they'll be like 10-7. When the course is this tough, Dan, I remember you said this earlier, like, how can an amateur compete? Doesn't it almost kind of level the playing field? Because you know no one out there is going to be just absolutely locked in on, like, seven under par. Like, if well, everyone's going to barely be plus one or even one under, doesn't it sort of make it a more even playing field for everyone else to compete? I think it takes some of the skill out of it. Yeah. Because now you're just hoping that your ball stops. That That is, if it's too tough, it levels the playing field because the best of the best aren't being rewarded for their shots. Well, if, 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 it's, if you're long, you're in good shape. If you're long, but you better be straight. And that's why, you know, Dustin Johnson is long – and, and to this point, he's been straight. If you can do that, it is a different course because you can play a, a higher iron. You can have more spin on it. you got you got a better chance. You still kind of have to be lucky about it. Uh, but, yes, I, I agree. The, look, the premise of what you're saying is absolutely accurate, which is in, in an effort to give us, hey, this, this is such a tough test, it should give us the best golfer, it actually kind of backfires. Yeah, in yep. that in that it it does eliminates a lot of the guys with a ton of skill, sh- creative shot making, because it really is about being straight, you know, fairways and greens, and then you got to get a little lucky with things biting. But you would have thought fairways and greens that'd be Jordan Spieth, but he was awful today too. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, is you had that group of Phil, Jordan Spieth, and Rory McIlroy shoot twenty five over par. Um, I, I don't think anybody would have thought thought that coming in. I, people were looking at a winning score, guys, of minus four, minus five at the start of this, and I don't know if we will get an under par winner. I don't know. We're, we're going to have two people under par, I think, at the end of day one. So to have a winner under par, I think, is a lot to ask. All right, so Tiger's going to have his first shot at birdie as on the uh, par 
five fifth hole. He uh, he just chipped up. He was just short of the green, chipped up, and he's I don't know. He looks like he's about eight or nine feet away for his first birdie putt of the day. Tiger again four over through four on the green, uh, uh, on the green laying four, uh, laying three. Excuse me. Uh, on the fifth hole. So we'll, we'll continue to update you. Like, look, the story is no one that you know outside of Dustin Johnson is playing particularly well. And even Dustin Johnson is just starting off, just starting off. But he did just birdie the fourth hole. So he's right there kind of in the early leaderboard. And it is windy, it is dry, and it will get faster and harder as the weekend proceeds. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Chris Mannix is an NBA insider for Yahoo Sports. Make sure to check out his his show Sundays from noon to 3 Eastern Time alongside NBA champion Karan Butler here on Fox Sports Radio. He'll be joining us momentarily. We'll get the updates that you need Uh to, to give you a sense of LeBron James. Now, we told you two days ago when the story broke. Two days ago, a story that ESPN started running last night. I told you exactly what happened. Where uh, there was a diss track between, between Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma. I told you my Laker guys said that they're best friends. But they've been, they've been asked to tone it down on social media. That that's not... That's not the behavior of franchise-caliber players that either one of these guys want to be. So it's a, hey, look, it's not that big a deal, but it could spin into something something worse. I don't know if that sort of maturity or the idea that that lacks maturity would would in any way nudge LeBron James to not get to Los Angeles. Let's ask Chris Mannix from Yahoo Sports and Fox Sports Radio. He joins us now. Uh, is there Does this affect in any way... LeBron's decision. I think it doesn't help, which was the the impetus behind you know L.A. telling them to to cool it. I mean, you want to you know give off the the, the vibe of a winning franchise, and you know having two of your key players um, you know acting kind of like goofballs doesn't really give off that vibe, especially you know when you're competing with a Houston Rockets team that's going to sell him on a chance to win right away or. You know, even a, a Cavs team, you know, that, that could sell them in different ways. It just, the optics of it are bad, and I think that's why the Lakers, that was the biggest reason why the Lakers told them to knock it off. All right, where are we with things? What are you hearing in, in terms of where his process is? Not a lot, Doug, to be honest. I mean, it's, he's clearly in the middle of it right now and, and working some things out, and, and I know his team has, has talked to him a little bit about, um, you know, the different scenarios that could be on the table, but... I don't think that far down the road yet. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that there's been communication between LeBron and Paul George, LeBron and Chris Paul at this point. I mean, that's that, that, that's pretty easy to assume. But everything else, it's just it's just too early. All right. Uh, speaking of Paul George, there's now renewed thoughts that Paul George would consider signing in Oklahoma City. Like that is just so vague to me. All right, like Paul George being an idiot not to consider not opting out or not not to, especially coming off of a knee or not to be an idiot to not you know think about a new contract where he can make more money and stay in Oklahoma City. I, I don't feel like that's earth shattering. Do you? No, and and look, I, I said this you know on on the air last weekend and and on TV earlier this week. I mean, I, I never believed that Paul George leaving, even with the disappointing outcome of the season, I never believed him leaving was anywhere close to a lock. I mean, you know, Russell West 
old from, you know, during the season as recently the relationship between Russell and Paul George is really good. I mean, they're working out this summer uh, together in Southern California. Um, you know, there, there's there's a pretty good bond, you know, between those guys. So, uh, and Oklahoma City, too, you know, one thing they've made clear is that, you know, Paul George can, can sign whatever contract he wants. I mean, if he wants the five-year full max, he can get it. If he wants a short-term deal, they'll work that out with him, too. They're being very flexible in Oklahoma City with, uh, with contract terms, and I think that is appealing to Paul George as well. Um, uh, there, there was a report, uh, a couple reports to get to. One from the Ringer that said everybody was trying to talk Brian Colangelo. Everybody in that organization was trying to talk Brian Colangelo out of drafting Markel Fultz. I find it curious that this only comes out after Brian Colangelo is gone. Um, yeah. What do you, What do you make of that report? It, he was not the only one in the organization that wanted Markel Fultz. I mean, I, I I can say that with with certainty. Now. You know, he was. He was what? I'm sorry. You cut out for a second. He was right. or was not the only one. No, he was not. He was not the only one in the organization that wanted Markel Fultz. Um, there were others uh, there. I don't. It, maybe it wasn't a consensus, but it wasn't Brian Colangelo versus the world. I, I can tell you that much. Now he he wanted him, Doug. He he, he wanted Markel Fultz. No question about it. That's why he was willing to do that deal with Boston. But um, he wasn't alone in, in that charge. Oh, no, I, I had I had heard the same as well, and you know I've heard from other teams that worked out all of those guards, and they they thought that Markel Fultz was the best of those guards, uh, you know the bevy of guards that that came down the pipe last year. I just uh, this is one of those deals to which now what it does say though is one obviously everybody thinks Jason Tatum uh, is better and has a chance to continue to be better, and two boy I think that hurts Markel Fultz heading into year two. Like whatever hope you have for him in his career. It gives you the sense that guys are turning on Colangelo after he's gone, but also turning on Markel Fultz. Is that a fair assumption yeah, to make? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair fair assumption to make. I mean, look, there there are legitimate you know concerns about Markel Fultz of where he's going to be at mentally with this process. I mean, it he, he may you know he may turn out to be a good player. It just may not happen in Philadelphia. There may be too much damage done. You know, both you know for himself, you know, doing what what he did uh, last year and going through all he went through last year, and now with all this stuff. I mean, they, I, I don't think they move on from by any stretch. I mean, they're going to see what they can do with him next season, but I don't know that that this is necessarily fixable uh, in terms of him getting to reaching his sort of max potential. Uh, you know, Brett Brown being there helps because Brett, you know, certainly is is an inspiring figure in that organization. All the players like him, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it all depends who they hire next and how that works out. Uh, let, let's let, let's go to the Boston story, which had them offering a trade up for Kawhi Leonard uh, before the February trade deadline. All right, I have two takeaways from that. W- one is that uh, the Spurs aren't obviously aren't trading Kawhi Leonard, right? Like it, they they had a chance to move on. Maybe it's because it's February. Maybe their feelings have changed. But I feel like they're not uh, they're not adjusting. And two, um, I, I can't believe anything Danny Ainge says. Because he's constantly trying to stay ahead of the curve, he is not content even with the team that's likely to be favored in the East next year, and and proof is they tried to make a trade for Kawhi Leonard. Well, I mean, one thing you have to know about Boston, Doug, is that they, they make offers all like Mike Zarin, their assistant GM, is one of the most active assistant GMs I've ever known. I mean, he, you know, he makes these offers, and I'm sure whatever they offered San Antonio, I don't know what it was. I had heard months ago that they called. I, it just never went anywhere. Um, 
yeah, I'm sure it was a low ball offer, and they expected maybe a counter, and that would increase the dialogue. But as Woj reported, uh, there was no counter offer. So Boston, you know, trying to 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 get something for for cheap is not at all surprising. And I still think that they're they're content with this current group. They, they look doing it something in February is different than doing something now. And, and everything I've I've heard from over the last few weeks is that they really want to go into this season not just with their stars intact but with Terry Rozier still there, with Marcus Smart back. I mean, there's a real belief in Boston next year that they can make a run at it, and that's why I think they'll bring everybody back. All right, what about uh, where are we with Chris Paul? Is he, you know, there was thought that he's automatically re-signing. Is that an automatic? Is that a given? I think the most difficult part of the Chris Paul negotiations is going to be the number of years. Um, I don't think Houston wants to be paying Chris Paul like $50 million when he's 38 years old. Um, but at the same time, you know how this works, Doug. I have no doubt that when they convinced Chris Paul to opt into his contract, there was an understanding of, of where Houston would go uh, with his salary. So I, I think they've, they've, they, they know what they're, they're going to have to pay Chris Paul uh, to stay. I just wonder if it's four years or if they have to go the full five. There, there's also talk uh, Draymond Green not wanting to – uh, take a low ball offer, not wanting to take a penny less than than the uh, the the max contract that he uh, will be el- super max. He'll be eligible for coming up to next year. Uh, Golden State's obviously going to change their bench. Is there any thought that they change one of the Hampton Five? No, none whatsoever. From from what I hear, everything I, I do, when I talk to people in Golden State, the message that comes out is just we think if we tinker with the bench, you know, get younger, maybe bring in like. The 2018 version of David West, somebody that hasn't won a championship that can help kind of fuel that locker room, that they'll be okay. And look, the, the NBA, the NBA has to fix their extension rules. Like it, it, a guy turning down an extension becomes a story, but the, the financials of it, Doug, are so stupid that nobody ever signs an extension unless they're so desperate to guarantee money that that they're willing to do it. I mean, uh, when they get to this is off, off topic a little bit. But when they get to the next collective bargaining agreement. They've got to figure out a way to make extensions palatable for players because, you know, it just none of these deals that guys could be offered make any sense. Right, and it makes them look, but makes them look like they're not all in on their yeah. team, like it did with Kawhi Leonard with Kyrie Irving when yeah. Kyrie Irving would be foolish financially, as he stated, to sign an extension, even coming off a knee injury. It's just dumb. I mean, he'd leave like eighty million dollars on the table. I mean, what player on the level of Kyrie or Draymond or Clay Thompson is is going to do that? I do think the NBA knows that pretty dumb and i think they're they're open to to tweaking it and, and making it more realistic for guys to to sign those extensions but right now it, it becomes kind of a you know uh, uh, like a false story in some ways the guys aren't you know not all in on their team because they're not willing to leave you know 80 million on the table they're just being smart financial people chris sabanix is an nba insider for yahoo sports check out his show noon to three eastern time every sunday along with uh, karan butler an nba champion on fox sports radio manix thanks so much man great work You guys, Doug, anytime. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. So, uh, look, look, the Tyrod Taylor being the starter, I I expect that for longer than most of these other starters, you know, even incumbents, before the young guys get a shot. I I just, I think there's this, if you you take one story... And you cut out all the other factors, right? Like, let's take Lamar Jackson. So Lamar Jackson runs around, freak athlete. They use him some with Flacco in these OTAs. 
put them under center some. A couple of the Ravens come out and like, look, it's like a young Mike Vick when he's running around. So if you just take that those quotes, you're like, wow, maybe Lamar Jackson is impressing them so much that you got to start him and play him right away. Then you look at some of the quotes. Shady McCoy was uh, Buffalo Bills running back said, you know, I'm not into rookies, but some of Josh Allen like that dude. His arm is he's got crazy making crazy throws. Just crazy arm talent. Now, again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that means they're going to be great or they're going to be busts. And I don't think those guys are lying. I just think this is kind of what we do. It's what we do. We get the shiny new toy on Christmas, and we play it, and you're like, hey, whatever happened? Whatever happened to that? Well, you know what my kids have? My kids have a fart gun. You know what a fart gun is? No. Have, you, have you guys? No. Um, oh, I've heard of whoopee cushions, and but. No, no Ramos can attest to this. It's, it's from. Um, it's from Despicable uh, Me. Despicable Me, right? Oh, it's dart gun. I said dart gun, you idiot, right? He actually, the guy invented a fart gun instead of a dart gun, right? So you squeeze it and it's, <laughs> you know. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm in my 40s and I find it hilarious. Okay, but you know, like I remember my kids got that from their grandparents because that's like our my family's favorite movie. We got the DVD player in the car, and I'm telling you, Despicable Me. I can quote chapter, line, verse, everything. In that movie, because it was running like on a loop, which is too lazy to take it out of the DVD player for like a year straight. So my in-laws get my kids a dart gun, fart gun, and it's hilarious. And the other day, I went back into my son's closet. I was looking for something to get out his baseball clothes for a baseball tryout. And what was back there? The fart gun, right? And it went from being the greatest, most clever, I have to have this present ever, to it's collecting dust. Again, doesn't mean Josh Allen's going to collect dust or... First thing is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the new shiny Christmas toy. It's set up for these guys to look good. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the pushback if Shady McCoy came out and was like, "Josh Allen stinks," right? Of course, you got to say, and and this is no different than in football when the new recruits show up or the new transfer plays for the first time. He's always the newest, the latest, and the greatest. And the fact is that if you think that two guys saying Lamar Jackson's a freak athlete, something that we asked and answered, right? That we, we didn't even, Lamar Jackson didn't even run for people, wouldn't do agility drills. And you know what? That's not really what hurt his stock. It's just not. So him being a freak athlete is a surprise to exactly zero people on earth. Josh Allen being able to throw a football when... There's not live defense. It should be a surprise to exactly zero people on earth. You know, we're going to do it in preseason football. Oh, man, he lit up the preseason. Lots of guys have lit up preseason. Lots of guys have even played well for two or three starts. I mean, the Scott Mitchells of the world, the Tim Tebow's of the world, the Vince Young's of the world. So I'd love to go crazy and give you a hot take on why Joe Flacco needs to sit and Lamar Jackson needs to play. But the fact is that as much as Joe Flacco, we know who he is. He's somewhere 20 to 25 touchdowns, 12 to 16, 18 interceptions. Like, that's Joe Flacco. He's got to be better than he's been, but he's clearly better than Lamar Jackson right now. And falling in love with him because during a couple of OTAs, he ran around and showed he's the craziest freak athlete we've ever seen. 
isn't a surprise and doesn't really change that narrative. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. The book is called Tiger Woods. It's co-authored by Jeff Benedict and our next guest, Armin Katayan. Armin, of course, you've seen on 60 Minutes, HBO Real Sports, uh, ABC News, CBS News. Uh, he's one of the foremost sports journalists actually in business, and he's kind of spent some time with us as um, just so you know, kind of the setup here at, at Shinnecock. It's in Southampton, which uh, obviously a huge summer spot for people, New Yorkers with money. Some people do actually live here year-round. I don't know what you actually do because it gets cold and it gets desolate. But a lot of writers and artists and stuff will find a spot on the water. Uh, so we're, we're roughly a mile or so from, uh, from, from the ocean. And, of course, on the kind of the south part, Southampton, south part of uh, of the end of Long Island, not quite out to, to Montauk. On the course, we're just off of the fairway for the first hole here in the media tent. We have a big screen where we have everybody's scores, and uh, the folks at the USGA have been kind enough to give us, I think, kind of prime pole position here. Remember, the broadcast turns over to Big Fox here in about nine minutes. You're about to click on Fox Sports 1. This is the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Armin Katayan joins us. Um, so you've written a book. Uh, digging into all that is Tiger Woods. Let's just start. Give me the impetus as to why. Why did you decide, all right, this is the, the topic, the, the guy I want to tackle? Well, we had done this uh, book previously, The System, Jeff and I, and it was a deep dive into into big-time college football. And we were looking for another sort of mountain to climb, and, and um, our agent, um, Richard Pine, suggested Tiger, and we were you know, kind of thinking, man, I don't know, because – there's been so many books written about him and by him and other people. But when we really kind of dug into it, Doug, we were um, pretty amazed that they were in two categories. One's most of them came out uh, right after Tiger turned pro. And the other ones came out after the scandal in, in, in November of 2009, early 2010, when they were published. And there had never been a, an immersive 360-degree view of his life going all the way back and really trying to put Earl Wood's life in perspective and Coltita, his mom, Tita's life in perspective. And, you know, Jeff and I have done, between the two of us, 25 nonfiction books. So this was a, you know, uh, it, it was a big challenge. And, um, you know, there aren't that many people that are known by one name. And Tiger, for the most part of his career, I'm watching him putt now here, um, you know, he was the most famous athlete on the planet. But no one had ever done kind of that investigative biography, which which we have done, and it's, uh, you know, it's attracted a lot of attention and a lot of praise. He leaves a birdie putt just short. I mean... You know, he has to line up like 10 feet to the left. It swings back to the right, but still, uh, Tiger is going to, looks like he's going to end up uh, the uh, the front nine at three over. Considering how the round started and considering yeah. some of the other scores, might actually take it as a win. Uh, he is hitting He is hitting the fairways. He hasn't been hitting the greens until about midway through this uh, this round so far. So we'll keep an eye on Armin Kittay and our guest on the Doug Gottlieb Show. So when you first said, all right, we're going, to do this, we're going to do a biography on Tiger Woods. Uh, where was he in terms of his body, his injuries, his rehab? Where, where... Well, it's, uh, that's interesting. It was the, the end of 14, the beginning of 15, so he was pretty much a mess physically. Yeah, 13, he had a great year. He just didn't win any majors. Right. And, um, you know, he was on his way back, but his back, you know, was giving out on him. Uh, he was a mess physically. Uh, there was you know, a lot of question marks as to whether his career was going to continue, certainly at the heights that it was before. And, you know, it was a risk. I mean, Jeff and I, you know, Simon and Schuster decided they they wanted to back us. And, and um, 
we told them, he said, we need three years. Uh, we need time to dig into everything that's ever been written about them. We read between the two of us some 20 different books, everything that had been written uh, by golf writers that are in this room, by Earl, by Tiger himself. We annotated those books, um, and then we, uh, we made a massive timeline, which I think was a critical part of our, of our reporting. We went all the way back to Manhattan, Kansas, when Earl was born, and we not only took the big mile markers of his life, of Tiger's life, but we really were able in our own interviews, some 250 interviews with people from every walk of his life, we were able to slot in things that were happening around Tiger during those epic periods, whether it was the 97 Masters or the 08 U.S. Open or when he signed big commercial endorsement deals, and that really helped us. And then we did what we do, and we went out and found and then gained the trust, which is the time that we needed, we felt, for that three-year period to get a lot of people that had never talked uh, about Tiger before their relationships with Tiger. Um, people like Alicia O'Meara, who Mark O'Meara's um, first wife, who was really a second mother to Tiger when he moved to Isleworth and had a very strong um, influence on Tiger and was very close to Tiger. Uh, Dina Gravel, who was Tiger's first true love, uh, they met when he was uh, a junior in high school at Western High School in Anaheim, California, and uh, their story of how they fell in love um, and how they broke up in a heartbreaking way uh, was a big part of the early part of the book because these stories tell you something about Tiger, and they also tell you something about the influence of, of Earl and Tita, who were profoundly um, uh, they were huge influences yeah, on Tiger's life. Impactful. On, yeah. On, on his, yeah. Look, and, and anybody's parents are, but especially we we thought especially Earl, right? And which is fascinating because as uh, as is, the story is told in the book, Earl Woods is in an unmarked grave yeah. in Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah. Right, here's the you know there's there's two fathers that are synonymous with taking an athlete, both from by the way in Southern California. And in this, I guess, three athletes and making them into every any, every type of prodigy that you could ever think and achieving even more of the goals uh, than ever thought possible. Earl Woods and Richard Williams, yes, right? Absolutely. And Earl Woods is in an unmarked grave in yeah. Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah. How does Tiger allow that to happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. In in when we found out about it, I actually sent a guy named John Parton, who is the editor in chief of the Kansas State Collegian. I said, John, would you just go over to the the gravesite. I know he's at Sunset Cemetery in Manhattan, Kansas, and he calls me back like three days later, and he goes, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? Earl's buried in an unmarked grave. If you don't know where the markers are in the ground, you'll never find Earl Wood's grave. And I'm like, what? And so I called the sexton of the cemetery, Mike Moeller. Jeff Benedict called him, and we that's how the book opens, and with Earl's grave being dug. And the reason is, we believe, is... Um, Earl did not te- uh, treat Tita with a great deal of respect. Um, you know, he was a, womanizer. let's be honest, a wanton womanizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was verbally abusive um, to Tita at times, and we have people who were eyewitnesses to those kinds of episodes inside the house at Teakwood. And he didn't treat her with a great deal of respect. And, and Tita, everybody looks at Earl as the profound influence in Tiger's life. I'm telling you that, that, that Tita was just as influential. She was the one that gave Tiger the iron will and the cold-blooded assassin on the golf course. Because when they would go back and forth either to um, the practice range or to tournaments, she would be in the car telling them, um, you know, you don't just beat them, you take their heart, you step on their neck. So they remember 
when you beat them. So the next time you play them, that's in their head. And we saw that, you know, time and time and time again, Tiger did that on the, on the course. I mean, he had, you know, he broke people's will. That wasn't Earl Woods. Earl Woods was the softy. Tita was the one who had that, 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 that heartlessness to her when it came to competitive golf. And that is Tita's revenge in, in, as, as far as we're concerned, because Tiger would never go against his mother's wishes. And if you know anything about Earl, and you do, Earl would have wanted a band playing 24-7, sure. yep. a spotlight. Here lies the, the great creator of Tiger Woods. Right. There's a, there's a little of... You know, a little of Earl Woods in LeVar Ball, for example. Yes. Right? You know, uh, LeVar Ball is, is a bad incarnation, a copy of a copy of a copy, if you will, uh, of, of what Earl Woods w- was uh, was like. Armin Katayan is our guest. The book is Tiger Woods. He's joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here live from the 118th U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. Um, why did he get married? I, I've always – this is what I've always wondered. Like, who was, who was the guy – you had to know – that Tiger was had had this part of Earl in him, that he had some hound in him. Everybody says, you know, he was kind of a geek at Stanford in high school, and now he reaches superstardom, and all of a sudden women are throwing themselves at him. Why? Why did people let this happen? Because that really was a was kind of the disaster yeah. that started the downfall of his career. Yeah, he was um, all of that. As he was a total geek in high school. He stuttered till the age of seven. He was the only child, the lonely child, growing up and in Cypress, California, had no game when it came to women. But think about where he was in in 2000, where he's um, 25 years old, and he's making upwards of $100 million a year. He's in Vegas with Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley. Vegas is exploding at that time where the high-end bottle service and the high-end nightclubs like Light and Tao and Pure and Bank were all just really starting, and they were on fire. And so Tiger would go into these clubs, particularly light, because that was um, where he had a lot of juice there. And, and um, you know, he'd sit at the in a VIP spot right next to the dance floor, and his VIP host would just say, um, up, come up to some pretty girls at a nearby table and say, Tiger Woods would like to meet you. And then they would sit down. And Tiger slowly but surely became more comfortable around women. But by 2004, um, you know, he's in full swing as a man. Uh, girls are throwing themselves at him. And he's catching a lot of them. I don't really know, and I think that's a very good question. I think part of it was because Elon was the perfect image um, of what maybe his mother and his father in corporate America and his sponsors would look at and say, wow, look at that. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's Swedish. She fits the profile to a T. But the truth is, is Tiger really didn't slow down much after he got married, and his life accelerated. And I think that's one of the great parts of the book is because it's so well reported, and it's it's almost in slow motion. As you're, we know what happens. We know he hits the the, the fire hydrant on November twenty seventh, two thousand nine. That's when he goes off the cliff, and the the epic fall from grace begins. But by two thousand and two thousand one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine you see his life accelerating off the course and his isolation and his entitlement and his lack of appreciation of people, his need for absolute privacy. He becomes a diver because he wants to go into the ocean, and he's a great diver. He's a cave diver. Um, not a lot of people know that. He's a spear fisherman, but he's one of the best spear fishermen around. But he loves the water because, as he said, the fish don't ask for autographs. It's quiet down there. And Tiger was seeking that, but... 
when he went out into that world, um, you thought he had this picture-perfect marriage because it was presented by people who profited from it as a picture-perfect marriage, meaning Tiger, Nike, um, American Express, Accenture, Gatorade, um, General Mills. I mean, it was a who's who of Fortune 500 companies that bought into Tiger's image, which made that fall from grace all the more calamitous for yeah. him. And, and and in fairness, um, he and, also... Can I know, say one thing? Yeah. It's so easy to be judgmental and for us to sit here and say, how in the world could he do that? But you're talking about a level of fame that's no, like... Uh, Unbelievable, and, and and what people I think don't understand is he has lived through kind of two ge- different generations. The generate when he the Jordan and Barkley generation, we didn't care about what guys you're absolutely right. did in their personal lives, and then all of a sudden we got religion and we did care. Well, what happened too is Doug is is that TMC hit the TMZ, you know, yeah. and you know the National Choir Choir became what a little they were the right story. there, but TMC changed the culture. Um, the social media blew up. Do do you? Kn- in the book, is there what actually happened that night? Yeah, and that's kind of how the first chapter opens, is Tiger is behind a bathroom door in his house. Um, I won't say cowering, but he's been discovered. The secret life that he's been leading has been discovered because Elon, when Tiger went to bed that night, um, looked at his cell phone because two days before, the National Enquirer had come out with a story that... Talked about Tiger's secret rendezvous with Rachel Yucatel in, in I Australia. I, 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 I do grocery shopping. Yeah. My house. I remember it. Yeah. And I remember going like, what? Yeah. And Rachel had denied it. She right. had gone, and we report this in the book, she had gotten on the phone with Elon. She was put up to it by Tiger's people to deny that she was having an affair with Tiger when she was. And truth be told, they were very close, Rachel and Tiger at that time. And... Um, but when the discovery was made and Elon um, was on the phone with her on that Wednesday and then she saw this text and, it, you know, I've been married for 38 years. This is not a text you would want your wife to find, which is you're the only one I've ever loved. Texting from Tiger to Rachel. So Elon makes the phone call to Rachel, not knowing it's Rachel. But when she hears Rachel's voice, it's, she's got a distinctive voice. She was like, I knew it was you. And... Rachel was like, oh, you know, <laughs> and that's where she woke, Elon woke Tiger up. He ended up fleeing into the bathroom, leaving the house in a rush and running into that fire hydrant. So that was, that was the beginning of the end. She come after him with the golf club? Well, I mean, he didn't come after himself with the golf club. I'm just, uh, <laughs> oh, was she trying to free her husband? Yeah, that was the story. That was the bad. That was out of the bad. That was a bad. I remember I was in ESPN at the time. We were night. getting ready to do college basketball, and people were like, wait, did Tiger Woods die in a car accident? Yeah. Like, what the, what in the heck happened? Uh, Armin Katayan joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. The new book is Tiger Woods. You can pick it up uh, anywhere. Books are, of course, available. Amazon, super easy. Get delivered to your door. Cowherd says he read it in a day. Yeah. Um, uh, is it books on tape yet? It's on tape too. Yeah, I'm gonna audio books, tape. I'm going to do the books on tape. I drive. Yeah, I drive a lot. I'm going to. I'm going to do the books. Call on me because there's a couple of mispronunciations in there that that Jeff and I were like Jordan Spieth, and we're, you know we're like what? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's not, it's not the voice of yeah, Armageddon yeah. or, or or Jeff. No, I turned that one down. I was like, I, I'm done um, at this point. I'm, I'm done. Uh, um, okay. Um, is he ba- like there back? Was so- back? Back? Yes. He's a different person, Doug. I saw him at. Um, at least from afar. I saw him at Tory in January, and it was the first time I'd ever seen him that engaged with fans, 
that appreciative, that open, that human. And it's funny, I ran into somebody here today at the golf course. Her name is Deborah Ganley, and she's a San Diego police officer who is Tiger's personal, one of his personal security people when he's at Torrey Pines. And I saw Deb right as Tiger was teeing off on one. And, and I said, she said, oh, I love the book, blah, blah, blah. And she, and, she, and she said, you know what? He hugged me the last time I saw him. He's never, she's known him for 15 years. He's never hugged me before. He hugged me at the last time he saw her at Tory in January, which is how the book kind of ends in the last chapter or so. And, and I do believe he's, he's changed. I think what happened last Memorial Day weekend in Florida when he was the DUI, that picture that just ricocheted around the world. Everybody was calling me, go, God, did you see the photo? I'm like, yeah. And the word time and time again was sad. God, this is sad. I'm like, yeah, try writing a book for three years and trying to figure out an ending at this point in time. And, but I think that changed him. I think the, that moment was a, um, was a pivotal moment in his life. And he came back healthy. You know, obviously, his back, the fusion has worked. Um, but he's, I think he's mentally happier emotionally happier than he's ever been and god bless him you know he's 42 years old he's been through at least two lifetimes i mean with his life and i think he deserves some happiness i don't think it i know he deserves some happiness in his life with his kids and he seems for the first time to to really appreciate what's happening around him is he back as a golfer i don't know that's still to be determined i mean he looked pretty damn good in the memorial and and um in other places earlier the year i think this tournament's going to be a real telltale sign because my God, it's so hard out there. It's it's so so hard, and you know, considering how poorly he putted two weeks ago, yeah, to to all of a sudden fix that in with surfaces that I mean, it are almost impossible to putt on. That you're asking a lot of a guy, uh, but we'll see. He's you know, no, he's he's not only considered the best iron player in the history of golf, he's also maybe the best grinder in the history of golf, right? To where yeah. he can play a poor round and find a way to get around par, just keep himself so that if he can put yeah. together two good but rounds his putter out was always, it was of all the things, you know, that was always a difference maker. He made... Yeah, six foot in, he was money. Yeah, and I mean, the putty made it in 08 at the open, that 12 to 15 footer that nobody could believe. Excuse me. <laughs> um, he's just, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be... It's going to be interesting to watch, for sure. Armin, great stuff. The book uh, is outstanding. I'm going to do the book on tape. I'm not going to lie to you and say I read it in one, one Thank day. Thank you for saying that. Uh, but uh, thanks so much for joining you bet, us. Bud. Thank you. All right, Armin Katayan, who, uh, man, I've known a long, long time. He wrote about a little piece about had Brawl Recruits, another book you should pick up and read about the uh, high school college recruiting back in the day. This is the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Armick getting all choked up over our book. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Landon Donovan joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Landon, World Cup underway. Uh, we saw Russia go out and get the first win for the home country. Um, I... I let, let, let's start with the, the the news yesterday, which was huge. The Spaniards sacked their manager two days before they're going to play their first game because he didn't tell him he was taking the Real Madrid job. Um, that that seems like a bizarre overreaction. Am I overreacting, calling it an overreaction? Hmm. Uh, I think it's I think it's very much an overreaction. I think if I've learned anything in the soccer world over the last twenty years, it's that. People are really, really emotional about this sport, yep. and so they make decisions emotionally instead of rational, rationally or practically, and this clearly fit that bill. 
Okay, so help me out with how how integral a, a coach or a manager's decisions are after the game actually begins, right? I, I know that there's tactics. I know that there's adjustments. But a lot of it comes down to style and, and picking the pieces and picking the players. How much do you think this actually affects the Spaniards when they go out and play? Uh, it's a great question. And I, I think, as you know, it depends manager to manager or coach to coach. Um, some teams, you see this kind of in baseball a lot, some teams sort of police themselves and are their own. You know, they have leaders on the floor who are extensions of the coaches. Spain is a team that's very mature, very veteran, a lot of older players. So they don't have a lot of guys who are going to be really shocked by this or, well, they may be shocked, but they're not going to be affected by it. So I think if there is a type of team who can handle this, it's a team like Spain. But there's no question, the last thing you want going into a tournament like this is instability, right? So it's yeah. a, it's a, just a bizarre situation. I mean, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of these conversations to figure out what, yeah, where the real I- truth is. Yeah, and it's it's not like he took a bad job. He took the the best job in the sport. In, 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 in <laughs> and you know, it wasn't like he took some job, you know, in in Belize and and wanted a startup sure. thing, or or he agreed to be the French team's manager in the next World Cup. Like he, t- right. he took the re- took the Real job. Help, help me out. I heard we got like two and a half minutes left, and I'm, I apologize for pinching you on time. Um, how do we how do we fix U.S. soccer? Like if I, I'm not saying that you'd be in charge. <laughs> you want to do that in two and a half minutes? <laughs> but it, it, it look, I, we were making steps, but we still have lacked the step of getting. You know, we had to go and get um, Americans who weren't really Americans instead of kind of building. Don't we have the athletes within our own borders to build a good sure. enough program to compete internationally? Sure, but what what's happened is at the very top level, we were making progress. But underneath, sort of when you pull the curtain back, there were signs all along and red flags all along that all of us, myself included, missed and weren't paying attention to. And so eventually it was going to catch up and it caught up to us. And so from a long-term perspective, the only way you prevent this from happening is by producing and developing players who are capable of getting the job done at this level. I mean, that's period, end of story. So that's where our focus needs to be. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we get, like, listen, we have, we have so many kids going out for other sports that I believe athletically have more speed, more lateral agility. They don't have the soccer skill or they don't have, they don't have the ability to get to the club sport at the youth level. How do we fix that? Well, the biggest problem in our country, Doug, is that soccer is a sport that has become uh, for the elite uh, or the wealthy. Sorry. Yep. And so a lot of athletes, who can't afford to pay three or four or five thousand dollars a year to be part of a youth soccer club say well then i'll go pick up a basketball or i'll go pick up a football and and that happens time and time and time again and until we fix that and make it more accessible to everybody from every walk of life every economic background then we're going to struggle Con- considering how it ended with you and the u.s men's national team are 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 you at peace when you watch the World Cup, or are, does it still not sit well with you? No, I'm at peace, but I went through you know weeks and weeks of grieving and sadness and being obviously disappointed by all of it. But at this point, I'm you know I'm just a I'm a fan like everybody else, and I want to see yep. see us all succeed. Hey, Landon, I really appreciate you joining us. I know you're a dad. I know you're playing for Lyon. More than anything, you're a great resource. Thanks for joining us. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.